Well, let's pray. In the words of our Bible reading, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honour and glory and praise. Father, we ask that Jesus will be honoured amongst us now as we consider his plan for our lives. Amen. Well, it is uh, really great to be with you at St. John's today, and uh, wasn't that wonderful set of videos of all around the world of your involvement in world mission? Um, from that long Bible reading we had, I just actually want to focus down, though, on just one verse, uh, one verse, which is verse 9. It's the heart of that chapter, and I think is the, the key which makes sense of, of it, and indeed of life today. That, that passage as it was being read, Revelation 5, is a glimpse into heaven. And in heaven, what is being said about Jesus is, verse 9, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe, language, people and nation. You are worthy. Jesus is worthy. It says he's worthy to take the scrolls and open its seals. Well, what's that about? Why does that matter? Well, the, the, the chapter starts with God himself holding a scroll, and if it turn, turns out, as you read on in Revelation, that, that this scroll is, is God's master plan for world history. God has plans. He, he made this world for a purpose, and he didn't intend that it would last forever. He gave it a beginning, and he plans to give it then an end. And because this world is in something of a mess, his master plan is to sort it out, to, to once and for all, to, to crush all that is evil, all that spoils, and to remake this world once again. But there's a problem. You see, verse 1 said that this scroll was sealed with seven seals. It was all locked up. God's great master plan for history couldn't be actioned. It couldn't be opened. Now, it's like if you uh, want to go overseas for your holiday. You know, all your plans for your summer holiday uh, are in limbo. You're thinking, oh, well, I was going to go to France or, or, or Switzerland, we saw on there. Those plans are frozen by the travel regulations. And nothing can happen until we know. You know countries have to come off that red list, don't they, so that we can go. And, and with holiday plans, them being frozen like that is frustrating. It's disappointing. But when we're talking about God's plan for history, that's devastating it's a disaster john who is having this vision begins to weep verse 4 i wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or to look inside it's a disaster because unless that scroll is opened god's plan will not take place and unless god's sovereign plans are put into action all history is meaningless all life is devoid of purpose Without God finally achieving what he wants, there'll be no happy ending for any of us. Only terror awaits. No wonder John weeps. But then, uh, wait a moment, verse 6, I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the centre of the throne. Verse 7, he went and took the scroll. Verse 9, and they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. Jesus is the only one who can open that scroll. That is, he alone can reveal the destiny that God has planned for the world. But why? Why is the eternal future of our world, uh, the future of each of our lives, effectively in his hands? Well, it's verse 9 that tells us why. And it is because, well, two reasons, actually. Uh, first, because Jesus' death brings urgently needed salvation. Verse 9, they say about Jesus, you're worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. 
The death of Jesus on a cross is being talked about in heaven because, verse 9, you were slain and with your blood, that is, by giving your life, by dying on a cross, you purchased for God people. The, the death of Jesus purchased people. It, it ransomed them out of captivity. And it says that he, he purchased those people for God. It's a reminder, as we think about world mission, that by nature, human beings are not God's people, no matter how polite we are, no matter how good we try to be. By nature, we are trapped by the power of sin. And without Jesus, we are held captive, whether we like it or not, and we cannot escape. And, and so there's no way God can go ahead with all his plans for history, because if he did, he'd have to come in judgment on us, and none of us would survive. But God has a heart of love. That's not what he wants to do. He made the world. He loves the people of this world. He's not some sort of vengeful tyrant out to destroy all people. No, what he wants is to make all things new. So for as long as the people he made are held captive to sin, his plans must be put on hold. That, that scroll must be sealed shut. But now, wonderfully, amazingly, the death of Jesus, it says, has ransomed people for God. Jesus' death brings salvation to all who put their trust in him. We are purchased for God so that no longer in captivity we have a new owner, a new status as people who belong to God. That's why Jesus can set history going once again. Because God has plans to surround himself with his people for all eternity. But without Jesus' death, he would have no people. We'd all rejected him. But in Jesus, through Jesus, we can be saved so that now God's plans for all the rest of the world can come into play. The scroll can be opened and we can be sure that what God has planned for this world will come to conclusion. It, it, we will reach the point where evil is punished, where his people get to reign in a whole new world in his presence. This world is a messy place. We're very aware of that now. We all go through hard times sooner or later. Right now, more of us than usual. No vaccine is going to stop that fact about the world. But because of Jesus, there is meaning. Because of Jesus, there is purpose. Because of Jesus, there is value now, significance to our lives. Yet for many of us, life may not be easy. But, but now that the scroll has been opened, we can be sure that we will reach that destination, that, that what God planned for the world will happen, will certainly come to pass. In, indeed, it, it's that fact that, that keeps us from being inward-looking at ourselves and our lives all the time and gives us a whole new outward perspective on the world. I mean, if you know how the world ends, doesn't that make you look at hamster differently? Doesn't that shine a whole new light on the needs of North London, of the UK, of the world? Jesus purchased us for God. He rescued us. That means not just that individually, our, our individual futures are secure, as for those who believe in Jesus. It means that all God's plans for the entire world are now moving forward to their completion and that the day when the world is no more, that day will be here soon with all its eternal consequences. Now, 
haven't really got to the best part of verse 9 yet. Let me show you that. At the end of verse 9, it says of Jesus that, with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. The emphasis uh, here is on that little word, every. It's not talking so much about who Jesus rescued, who he purchased, as where he rescued them from. And we see here that Jesus' death brings salvation, reaching the whole world. That's the second reason why he has this pivotal role in God's eternal plans, because of the global reach of what Jesus accomplished. Jesus purchased people for God from every tribe in the world, from every language group in the world, from every people group in the world, from every nation of the world. Too often we forget this verse, I think. Uh, when, when we read at the end of Matthew's Gospel, for those who, who know that, where, where Jesus says, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, we, we tend to think, well, there's, there's what, there's, there's like 190-something countries in the world today? But that's missing the point of what he's saying. That, that word translated in English as nations isn't talking about the modern nation-state uh, that we have today. Really, it means people group. And there are a lot more people groups than there are countries. I mean, thousands more. And that really becomes very clear here in Revelation, where it says that Jesus purchased for God from every tribe, every language, every people, every nation. I mean, just think about that verse. What comes to your mind as you think about that? I think about over 7,000 languages spoken today, of which fewer than 10% have a Bible. I, I, I think and see a billion people who do not have a Bible in their language. I still find that shocking, even in my role. It still shocks me that, that almost 200 million people alive today don't even have a single verse of God's word in their language, not even John 3.16. And when I come across a verse like this, I see that God's plans for our world are bigger than ours and that we still have some catching up to do. I mean, when you think about that verse, what, what comes to your mind? I hope you get the point that, that Jesus was only permitted to open the scroll, mapping out God's plans for the world. He was only counted worthy to do it because he'd redeemed people out of every tribe, every language, every people, every nation. Jesus ransomed people from all corners of the world, from communities right across the globe. That's why God's master plan for history could be unlocked for the whole world, because of the global extent of what Jesus achieved on the cross. And you put that together and you see that God's eternal plan has always been for individuals from every tribe, language, people and nation to be brought into his presence. And that is the shape and direction of all world history. God's people are to be a, a multicultural, multi-ethnic, multilingual family. People of every different race, of all cultures, all languages, people from every caste, people from every social class, all brought together by Jesus for God. And friends, I, I must point out that if this is God's plan for world history, then it, it should also be our plan for our lives. It's the, the fool who, who, who makes their own plan for their life and, and tries to make their own plans happen, regardless of what God might be doing. Yeah, the wise person fits their life within God's plans. We try to understand what God's agenda is, then we make his agenda our agenda. 
We would be so much happier if we just did this. We would save ourselves so much grief. And when we start to think about, well, what is God's agenda? We mustn't forget that within that, his concern is global. Jesus sent us to make disciples of all nations, of all people groups, because he had first redeemed from every tribe, every language, every people, every nation. When we think about world mission, don't just think that's something for a, a few keen Christians. You know, there's always some people that like that sort of thing, aren't there? You know, that, that God himself has a heart for world mission, and all godly people will share that concern. Jesus himself gave his life to get people of every tribe, language, people, and nation back to God for eternity. Perhaps I can ask you, what are you giving your life for? Don't waste your lives pursuing the things of this world. If Christ gave his life for you, give your life for him. Give your life, expend your life, pour out your life, use up your life pursuing those things that matter most to him. How many years have you got left in this world? What are you going to use them for? How much wealth will you leave behind you when you die? What could you have used it for? The gospel has not yet reached enough people. It has not even yet reached enough people groups. And it will not do so without the Bible being available and without the richer Christians in the West supporting local Christians to make it happen. This work is ongoing and we need to take care that we keep it fixed in our minds as the greatest challenge facing this generation. Perhaps uh, I can ask you as, as a visitor from Oxford, um, who, who are the tribes and peoples kind of around here in this neighbourhood who are currently unreached? You know, in the UK, uh, Bible-believing Christians often have a habit of reaching their friendship networks, but no more than that. It's often the case that we need to work harder in our churches at breaking out of the communities we know to reach the mass of people of all walks of life, the, the, the long-standing immigrant community with different religious uh, uh, beliefs. I wonder uh, how many of you have ever stopped to consider the spiritual needs of Europe? Um, how many Bible-believing, Jesus-loving, evangelical Christians are there in Europe? Well, in Germany, 2.1% of the population. In Belgium, 1.2%. Italy, 1.1%. France, 1.0%. The Czech Republic is just 0.7%, a figure so low it is comparable to an Islamic country like Pakistan, 0.6%. Greece is 0.4%. Poland, 0.3%. And any of you from those countries will know this already, but the rest of us need to pay more attention. The biggest problem facing Europe today is not COVID, but that there are too few workers for the harvest field. There are people in communities across this country, across our continent, who Jesus died for, but who are waiting to hear about it. And that's without starting to go into the tremendous need for the gospel all over the world. Globally, over 85% of all Hindus, Muslims, and Buddhists do not even know a Christian. Asia has a population of, of 3.5 billion people, 
Only 13% even know a Christian. 3.1 billion do not. And the fundamental issue sort of tying all of that is, is when you have one in five of the world's population without the Bible in the language even. I mean, that's not something that affects a few remote jungle tribes. That is in large parts of the Islamic world, there is no church growth because there are no Bibles available. How can you, you lead someone to Christ without a Bible they can understand? How, how can you establish a church that plants other churches if they do not have full access to God's word? You see, this verse in Revelation tells us that Jesus is building a global church which encompasses believers of every tribe, language, people, and nation. Now, Bibles are being translated. The gospel is being proclaimed. But what greater part can we play in this enormous task? What will each of our lives achieve? Well, I mean, you'll say to me, James, it's just far too hard. Those numbers are too big. What, what could we do? This is a small church against such overwhelming numbers. But I want to suggest to you that actually it's very simple to take part. And that if each of you were to prioritize this, you could have tremendous impact. You see, anyone who has the gospel is qualified to share the gospel. So the only requirement needed to reach different communities around the world, all that is needed is for a few Christians to go and live among them and share this good news, and for those who stay behind to pray for them and to provide the funding for them and their organizations to keep on going. That's how the early Christians saw their world change. I mean, read the book of Acts. It's how things happen today. It's down to people like us who come to understand that Jesus' salvation is not just for people like us, but that it reaches globally, that it must be taken globally to every tribe, language, people, and nation, and that the church has been commissioned to do this task. That's what we're about at Wycliffe Bible Translators, and, and indeed what is happening with some of the other great organizations uh, that you support that are on the video. When we're translating the Bible, it's because we're wanting to accelerate evangelism and discipleship in those communities. With the Bible available, people can find out about Jesus. Churches can grow. With the Bible available, the other mission organizations you support can do their work more effectively. That's what they say to me, James. We can't do our work until you've done yours. But no mission organization can do anything without people. It takes people to go and do it. It takes people to stay and give and invest seriously their money in it and it takes people who will pray prayer makes it happen uh, I, I wonder if everyone here is is connected to one of the mission partners that, that we saw on the video uh, and 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 to a mission organization because if we share god's concern for world mission it will mean praying for the work and actually i think the simplest way to do that is to pray for one of the church's mission partners and to use a prayer diary from a good mission organization. We gave you on the way in the, the, the Wycliffe magazine, the second half of that is all prayer points. Very short, simple, if you want to use it. Um, other good mission organizations are available, as they say. Um, but, but see, pray, because when we pray, we're taking part. Prayer is real partnership. And, and to be blunt about it, um, it will also mean financial support for the work. The task of world mission is tremendously expensive. Typically, those who traveled overseas depend entirely on what God gives them through the, through the uh, giving of those in their home churches. 
Very many of the people that we work with, as you saw, saw on the video, their churches are actually not able to afford to, to set them apart, the local people, and again, it requires funding from the UK that keeps them going. And their mission organisations depend on the giving of individual Christians. No one else will fund this work if Christians and churches don't do it. Now, of course, if our, if our plan for our lives revolves around ourselves and our mortgages and our pension plans and so on, then we will always prefer to keep our giving to a minimum. But if we're seeking to align our lives with God's master plan for history, then we will want to ensure that at least some of our money is being used to reach every tribe, language, people and nation with the gospel. So we pray for the work and we pay for the work and as a church we seek to send workers friends it, it is good to identify who else can go i've spoken to christians in, in different countries of the world uh, and, and i always ask people uh, what help if any they they need from from christians in the uk and they keep saying send more workers and, you know, if such people don't come from a church like this, you, you wonder where else are they going to come from? Pray that God would make this church a centre from which mission workers are sent out into different parts of the UK, of Europe and the world. And that is funding our workers from other churches to go into the UK, Europe and the world. Uh, the need exists. Classically, you tend to think of, of younger people, 20s, 30s, 40s, whatever, um, uh, Wycliffe Bible translators, uh, we're also looking a lot for. So the mid-career change, people in their 40s, 50s, 60s uh, with professional skills, IT, management, accounting, to play a part in this fundamental task, some of which can actually be done now online from home. It's, is that scary? The, th are the things I'm talking about scary? Does, does the thought of stepping out to do something new uh, scare you? Would you be frightened to leave friends and family to go where Christians are most needed? Does, does your bank balance feel threatened by the idea of, of giving chunks to world mission? Is, is it too big a risk? <laughs> what have we just been talking about? The scroll has been opened by Jesus, so we can be sure that history is on track. We're the ones who know how the world is going to end. All of God's master plan for world history is moving forwards to its final completion. The scary thing would be to let that pass you by. If we take risks for Jesus, we have not risked anything. It's those who won't risk anything for him. They're the ones, he said, who would lose it all. As Christians... Our future is secure. The scroll has been opened. God's master plan is in progress. We are safe. We are secure for all eternity. Nothing can ultimately hurt us. So therefore, we are free. We are free to make God's agenda our agenda, to get on with the task of making Jesus known with our prayers, with our actions, with our money, to, to not spend our time looking in at ourselves, but to look out at a world in which God is calling people to himself, some from every tribe, language, people and nation who are today waiting, waiting for someone to share the good news with them that they too might hear and believe. So shall we pray that God would use us to achieve that? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for Jesus and for his great salvation.
Please open our hearts and minds more and more to realize the wonderful work that Jesus has done and direct our lives so that we are more aligned with your plans for this world. Father, please use us to call those Jesus has purchased for you from every tribe, language, people and nation. Use us here in Hampstead, use us in this nation, use us around this world. We ask that you would raise up more to be the next generation of mission workers who will not cling to their lives but will give up careers and comfort for the sake of the billions who are lost and who are waiting to hear the good news. And alongside them, Father, would you raise up many others who will commit to funding this work and commit to praying for it. In Jesus' great and glorious name we ask these things. Amen.